Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. But we're going to kind of continue to make our way through, through Paul's letter today, and we're going to cover some significant ground today. So we're going to be in chapter 3. If you want to turn there, um, to just to be ready for when we get there, um, go ahead. But Paul has been kind of explaining to us. I want to kind of show you where we've been so far. Um, this is kind of what we've looked at so far. He, he, he's talking about this idea that God is carrying out a good work in us that he's going to carry on to completion in, in the day of Christ. When, when Christ returns, that the work that God is doing in us will be finished. There will be an end uh, uh, in sight. There is a, there's a moment when, when the work that God is doing is, is going to be finished. But this work that God is doing is something that should bring joy into our life. And that we should have so much joy, amen to that, uh, so much joy that we should be able to go through trials and hardships and difficult circumstances in our lives and still be living a life full of joy because of God. In fact, he even says that it is important for us to live a life worthy of the gospel, which we kind of we didn't quite get to last week. We sort of touched on it, kind of the, the after effect of that, of what he was talking about, which was this idea that we should live a life imitating Christ. That that's our role, is that our purpose is to imitate and reflect Christ. And last week we talked about the idea that there are some traits, some behaviors, some things that, uh, that if we are imitating Christ, we can't help but exhibit those traits or those behaviors. And, and when we're not exhibiting uh, or are not exhibiting those traits, it's probably because we're not imitating Christ. And so today we're going to see where Paul begins to lay out his resume, kind of his history of uh, faith and obedience to Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at. But before we do, I want to start with a question to kind of frame our discussion. Have you ever been really good at something? Anybody willing to say, yeah, there's some things I'm really good at? No, not, I mean, you made these windows. Not anybody else in here can probably do that. Come on now. I mean, I think that we're probably too humble to say that we feel like that maybe there are some areas we are pretty good at. Or once upon a time, we were pretty good at those things in our younger days, right? Maybe for you, basketball was good at basketball, good at baseball, good at running. Anybody good at running? I, don't, I mean, I guess you could be good at running, right? I, I'm not good at running. I'm good at not running. How's that? Uh, I'm, I'm not good at running, but maybe you're good at singing. I mean, we have some good, we have some amazing singers in this church. And you're so good at these things that other people want to learn from you how to do them. Maybe for you it's it's something different. It's some maybe you're good at an instrument, maybe you're good at woodworking or crafting or knitting or uh, painting or a particular type of art. Maybe it's not painting. Maybe it's uh, pencil drawing or something else that you're you're you excel at. Maybe it's with numbers and math. Who's Good with numbers and math. We don't have anybody in here that would say, I'm good with numbers and math. Maybe you just don't want to admit it. You're scared. You know, we need some people who are good with numbers and math, okay? Um, good with writing and English and, 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 and uh, telling stories or something. Or, or, or maybe uh, it's something else. And people come to you 
for advice on how to do these things. Now, I wouldn't consider myself an expert of, of much of anything. I, I really, I, I, in fact, I think my wife might say that I am uh, uh, too much of a hobbyist. I have too many hobbies. There are too many things I like to do. And so, therefore, I'm not great at any one of those things. At least that's how I feel. Now, I, I like to do things like I play video games. I play, I play guitar. I like to uh, hunt and fish. I like to collect things. I, I got all kinds of hobbies. I like to cook. Yeah, I like to cook. Uh, once upon a time, I was very, I feel like I was pretty good at art. I, I did a lot of art in high school, and, and now I do uh, stuff on the computer and different things like that. But specifically, if someone said, what do you feel like you really excel at? If I, if I had to say, in high school, I felt like I excelled um, in the area of art, specifically in the style of pointillism. Now, if you don't know what that is, it is a bajillion dots making up a picture, and it really is painstaking, and your hand cramps up, and it's many, many hours to make a picture. And this is a picture that I did in high school. I don't know if you can see that. And you probably can't tell from the back, but this is literally no lines, no coloring, just dots over and over and over and over and over again until you want to chop your hand off. And this was something I did in high school, and, and it won some sort of an award. I can't really remember. But um, I felt like I was pretty good at that in those days. I, I, I you know, I had people in my class ask me, how, how do you do that? Or, how, you know, give me some advice. And, and I always loved talking about that. And now, you know, as an adult, I think, you know, when people come and ask me about cooking, I, I, you're never going to hear me just be like, eh, I don't really want to talk about that. You know, I love to talk about how to like barbecue, you know, how to, how to uh, cook something on the grill. I, you know, I'm never going to pass up an opportunity to share with you how I think you ought to do that. You know, so if you want to know, I will tell you. But again, I don't necessarily consider myself an expert, but it doesn't it feel good to help somebody else as they journey with a particular skill or an activity? To kind of be, to feel like an expert as they come to you and they're asking you for advice on how to do that. How do you do that? How do you make that work? How did you make those windows? Or how do you sing like that? Or how do you play that, that instrument? How do you do that? And then you, and you kind of feel really good for a moment because you're like, hey, they want to know how I did that. They want to know, they want to know, because I'm apparently, you know, at least for this moment, an authority on this subject. And it feels good. And I think that what we're going to see today as we look at our text is that sort of situation. Paul talking about his faith journey in such a way that it's not to belittle us or to make us feel small or to say, hey, I'm better at this whole Jesus thing than you are and look at me and I'm so great at it. But it's to lift us up and to help us realize a really simple truth that I hope we can get this morning, which is this. You are only able to do what you can do. But God wants to do what He can do in you and through you. In fact, this week at camp meeting, I had a different plan for this message, and then we heard the message on Wednesday night at camp meeting, and it messed me up, and I've been spending from Wednesday to today reworking this sermon. Um, there's this passage in Ephesians that Paul writes and he talks about how God wants to do and is able to do immeasurably more in us than we could ever think to, to think of or even imagine. That He is the God of immeasurably more. And see, you and I will only ever be able to do what we can do at the level that we are at. We are, we are inept in every way, I think. But God 
can do so much more in and through us, and He wants to do so much more in and through us. See, this, this, I don't know if this is grammatically correct, or it feels weird to say this, but it proves my point, so don't judge me on my English here. You can only be as grown spiritually as God has revealed Himself to you. you you're only as grown as He has allowed you to grow. But, but God is the God of immeasurably more. And so He wants to do in you and through you immeasurably more than you will ever think to, to dream up, to imagine, or to ask for. He is that God. And that's what I want to talk about this morning as we look at Paul's example is this God who wants to do in us spiritually more than we could ever even imagine to ask for. And so I hope you're excited about that. I feel like I set it up well. It seems like we should be excited. So let's find out what Paul has to say. Chapter 3, we're going to just start right, right out up front, and we're going to break it all up because it's kind of a long passage. But he says this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Now, this is a little bit of a weird statement, but a lot of people believe that maybe Philippians was actually broke up into several smaller letters, and I don't know if that's for sure or not, but this seems as though Paul is kind of concluding his thoughts, and that's why they think that. Um, but he, he's kind of saying, hey, I've said this to you before, it's okay, I'm going to say it again. So it may, it may even seem somewhat familiar to us this morning. But he says this, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have such confidence, or have reason for such confidence. Now this is a bold start to chapter 3. Paul comes in and he is saying some pretty bold things, some pretty intense things. And he's, he's talking about this whole idea that we should guard against. He's talking to the believers at Philippi and he says, you should guard against those who he calls dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Now, what, who was this? These were people who were, who were trying to take old practices, Old Testament law, and apply it to new converts, Gentile converts, new believers in Jesus and saying, hey, you can't be a follower of Jesus if you don't take some of this Old Testament practice and do it. And they were just talking about circumcision. I, we were talking, joking this morning that every time I have to talk about something uncomfortable like that, the kids end up being in here. Thank you, Jesus. They're over there today. <laughs> I don't want to have to go home and explain to my daughter what circumcision is yet. I am just not ready for that, okay? <laughs> But he says, I mean, can you imagine what this would be like to, to, to convert uh, as a Gentile, not knowing the Jewish faith, not knowing the Jewish beliefs, and you come in and then somebody says to you, hey, hey, uh, men, not you ladies, we got an operation for you. We're going to come over here for a while and we got something you got to do in order to, to be right with God. I would say, thanks, but no thanks. Going over here, you know? I mean, and that's, and Paul says, hey, these people, they're mutilators of the flesh. They're dogs. They're, they're evildoers. Simply put, 
These people were trying to inf- uh, take Old Testament law and Old Testament practices and let it infiltrate New Testament Christian beliefs. And, and it was wrong. And Paul calls them out on this. And, and we see this all throughout Paul's writing. He does this all the time. This is one of many, many, many examples of where he does this. And I think this is just as true for first century believers as it is for you and me today. That we do not have to live up to the standards and the practices set in the Old Testament law, the Jewish practices. And if you've ever read the law or read Leviticus, there are some crazy things in there. And we don't have to live up to that. Yet so often we want to combine those things. And see, Paul says that our confidence is in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where our confidence is, not in the flesh. Not in, not in these religious rituals, not in Old Testament practices, not in all these uh, legalistic things that they had to do and, and live up to. And he says that stuff is, that day is gone. That day is over. Our confidence is in Jesus. And Paul makes this bold, bold statement that would have upset the system of the day. I mean, imagine someone coming in and telling, telling you that something you've believed for your entire life is no longer relevant. That's what he's doing, and he's upsetting the system. But then he backs it up with this incredible resume. Verses, uh, I think it's five and six here. I'm just going to kind of take out a small section. He says this. This is his resume. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I mean, that doesn't mean a lot to us now. We read that and we're like, okay, whatever. That sounds really cool. But to them in that day, that was an impressive resume. That was powerful. I mean, simply put, there wasn't a person alive that wouldn't have looked at that and been like, that guy is powerful. That guy, he knows some things. He, he has some authority. And he, said, he, was, he is a part of, one, he was circumcised as tradition, so he did have that operation. You know, he went through that. He knows what that's like. And then he was part of the lineage of, of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. That was a significant thing. And then he says, I was a Pharisee. So he was part of the, the religious elite, the highest authority of, of religion in, in that day. He was one of them. And he was an impressive one at that because he says, as far as keeping the law, keeping all the rules, keeping all the standards, he was faultless. There ain't one of us in here that probably could say we're faultless in keeping the laws of the road. (laughs) I mean, today you're probably going to speed, right? Amen? I mean, most likely, or drive too slow, maybe it's the other way, you know? I mean, we don't even, we, there's probably not one of us in here can say, you know what, in this area, I am just faultless. I never make a mistake. I never mess it up. And Paul says, he was faultless as key to keeping 613 laws. He was faultless. It's amazing. Look what he says about all this success, though. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. I consider everything a a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ." Now hold on for just a second. This righteousness that he's talking about is not one based on his good works. 
It's not one based on his good behavior or anything that he did special. It is totally based in Jesus. Look what he says. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, when I was originally working through this message and writing this, I was, I was going to skip this part. I was like, you know, maybe we can move on to something a little bit more significant. But man, there's so much good stuff here that I think applies to our lives. We have got to at least kind of take time to look at this impressive resume and see how it applies to our life. Because he, can, he says all this, he considered it a loss. Can you imagine working your whole life for something and then one day turning around and saying, you know what? I just wasted the last 30 years of my life. It was all in vain. It was for nothing. And that's what, kind of what Paul does here. He says, he says, it's garbage in comparison to knowing Christ. In fact, he even would go even further and say, hey, if you could take all of that away, I would give you all of that if I could just know Christ better. You could have it all. And then he goes on. He says, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now don't miss this for a second, because I think this should be encouraging to us. Even Paul hasn't arrived even Paul, the Apostle Paul, if there was a man who was going to be like, I mean, he said he was faultless as far as the law, but he says, even I haven't arrived at the goal. I haven't gotten the prize yet. I haven't, I've not obtained all of this, this knowledge spiritually. And so I feel like that should give us some encouragement because most of us in here, we haven't arrived yet either, right? Amen. We're still on the journey. We're still trying to figure some things out. And if Paul hasn't figured it out, that we can cut ourselves just a, a small amount of slack and say, you know what? I'm, I'm on the journey. I'm still pressing on towards the prize. I'm still working towards what God has for me. And he says, don't forget to, to forget what is behind you. Just ignore all that. Ignore all the, all the, move beyond all the past mistakes. Move beyond all the failures of the past. Move beyond all the things that hold us back from our past. He says, strain towards what is ahead. So stop looking back here at your past failings and where you made a mistake or where it went wrong. He says, turn that over to Jesus and just keep pressing on. Keep running forward. I mean, have you ever seen anybody run that's trying to look behind them? It is a disaster, isn't it? I mean, if you do that riding a bike, that's how you hit a parked car. I know somebody. I won't, I won't out them. But I know somebody who did that once. You know, they're looking around and you hit a parked car. I mean, it, you got to look ahead. you got to look forward. you got to focus on what's in front of you, not the past. Paul follows this up by saying something, again, that I think should encourage us even more. He says this, All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. That's, that's all of us. That's those of us who, who, have, who have accepted Christ, who are walking in the faith. We should have the same view as Paul, he says. And if, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So if you don't understand something yet, just know that eventually God is going to make it clear to you through time, through maturity, through growth. And then he says this, 
Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Here's what I want us to understand from looking at this impressive resume and all that Paul has to say of, hey, I've, I, I've, I've done the legalistic thing. I've walked in the path of the law and I was faultless and I consider it a loss. And so now my, my focus is on Jesus and that's where I'm going. And here's, you should follow in my example. Paul says all of this not to impress people, I don't think, not to impress us, not to, not to make us feel small or feel bad about our own spiritual maturity or anything like that. Um, I believe he is simply petitioning us to surround ourselves with people and to fill our lives with things and to participate in activities that help us press on towards Christ. That God wants us to be surrounded with people, to be filled with doing things, and to, be, to, to occupy our time with things that, that push us further in our journey with Christ. Not things that delay it, not things that weigh us down, not looking to the past and trying to figure out where we went wrong, but to look ahead and to move in that direction. And we need to position ourselves in such a way that we would be better race runners. I'm going to say that a few more times, but it's going to get just as hard as the first time. God wants us to be better race runners, church. We, that, we should train and do whatever it takes to become better at running the race. And that's what Paul's talking about here. What is it, what, what it going to take for you to become a better race runner? What do you need to do in your life? What do you need to change in your life? Let me tell you, it's not going to be keeping all the legalistic rules. It's not a behavior modification program. It's not following the law or, or, or living up to some, even somebody else's standard for you, I don't think. I, someone else's, maybe someone else's expectations of you. It's you doing what Christ has called you to do and focusing on Him and moving towards Him. Don't miss this for just a moment here. I think this is key. Jesus did not die for our behavior modification program. He didn't. He didn't go to a cross so that you would be a good person. We heard that this week at camp meeting. He did not go to the cross so that you would be a good person. There are a lot of good people who will probably spend eternity in hell. There are a lot of broken people and messed up people who know Jesus that will probably spend eternity in heaven. <laughs> you know? And they got some dents and some kinks, some scars. And maybe some wounds as well. And Jesus is going to save them and wash them and make them white as snow. And they're going to stand before God one day and they're going to be free. And they're free now because of Jesus in their life. You know? He died so that He could have your heart. And He wants your whole life surrendered to Him. So how do we become better runners of the race? 
How do we do it? Because I think we're all on this journey. I want to give you some application points of how I think we can become better race runners. And they're actually, these are just as true about running. So I'm going to teach you something about running if you want to learn to run. I'm probably not the best example of somebody who should teach you about running. You're looking at, you are looking at me and you're thinking, I bet that guy's never ran a day in his life. And you're probably right. You're at least sort of right. Um, But I'm not a fan of running. I just, I really hate it. I tried it for a while. Allison got really into running for a short while. And we'd, I think at the time we just had Lila. And so we had this great stroller. I could get it out and push it and run. And and it was, it was awesome. It was perfect. And then I did it for like two days. And I was like, I really hate this. And I don't ever want to do this again. And so I ran back to the couch and I've been there ever since, you know, and, and it's just my face, it's just my place, you know, I'll run if something scary's chasing me, but that's about it, you know, and I just don't like to do it, I, I have family who love to run, and I know people who love to run, and in fact, I have an uncle who got really into running several years ago, and he used to, when he started out, he said, he said you know, I couldn't even run to the mailbox, it's like, I, I, I started out, I'd run to my mailbox, check the mail, and then run back, and then, and then he's like, I'm going to try to run to the end of the street. He couldn't even run to the end of the street. He lives on a cul-de-sac. It's probably, you know, probably about 20 houses on. It's a good long road, but, you know, it's about 20 houses or so on each side of the road. And he would try to run to the end of the road. And he'd make it about halfway and have to walk. I'd probably made it about a quarter of the way and had to walk, you know. But he, he, he would do that. And then eventually he started and he was, he was running to the end of the street. He's like, I think I'm going to go a little further. And then he'd run to the next street. And eventually he was running five miles a day. And then like 10 miles every other day. And I mean, he just went like that and got into it. And I was thinking about this and, and running and did a little research. And, and, and I, there, are, there are four kind of applications to running that I think apply to us spiritually in, this, in, the, in regards to what we're talking about. And so if you want to press on to the goal, spiritually speaking, I think that you should apply these four things in your life, these four principles. And the first one is this, warm up, warm up. Just like with running, you got to warm up. You got to any type of exercising. You don't just run in there and just start lifting 400 pounds, you know, for those of you who can do that. You know, you don't just do that. You work, you warm up, you, you warm up, you do a little run, you know, do a small uh, a warm up run or a small warm up workout or whatever. And I think that's true for us spiritually. You don't just one day read the Bible for an hour and pray for an hour. You know, as I haven't been able to ever accomplish that. I might get it for a day and then the next day I'm like, oh man, I'm tired. I'd really like to just sleep in a little longer today, you know, or, or, or I just or I read even five minutes and, I, and the next thing I know, I'm, you know what I mean? Like you just don't ha- I, I, you got to work up to it. You got to warm up to it. And I think those things are true all over the place as it relates to spiritual things. You can't just expect to always love people instantly the way that you should love them, because I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but sometimes loving people is hard. Because sometimes people aren't lovable, right? I mean, we don't want to say that, but we're in church, so we're going to be honest. Sometimes people are not lovable. They do things that are unlovable, and it makes it really hard for me to want to love them the way that I'm supposed to. And so I have to warm up. I have to go find somebody who's easy to love, and I love them. And then I work up to the harder people, you know? And, and sometimes, you know what, sometimes God just gives us that, and we are able to do that. But I think for most of us, it is a journey of warming up and, and working that practice into our lives. Second thing is this, have a focus or a plan. Now, 
This is, this is true with running and riding and all kinds of things. I remember years ago hearing this story. A pastor told this story. He'd, he'd taken up bike riding and he'd learned really quick that wherever he looked is where he would go when he was on that bike. And he was riding and there was this big pothole in the road in front of him. And he saw the pothole and he's like, I need to avoid that pothole. I'm not going to hit it. I'm not going to hit it. I'm going to avoid it. And he's looking at the pothole and looking at the pothole. And what happens is when you run or ride, wherever you're looking is where you will go. And so what did he do? He drove right into that pothole and flipped his bike completely over. Went over the handlebars. Because where we look is where we will go. And so if we have a plan or a focus, spiritually speaking, and it's to be more like Jesus and to live more like Jesus and to get closer to Jesus. If we focus on that, that's where we'll go. If we focus on other things, that's where we'll go. So what is your plan? Do you have a plan? Do you have a focus? This might be a detriment to your safety if you're running or riding a bike. So, you know, keep that in mind. But it also could be a detriment to your safety, spiritually speaking. If you're focusing on the wrong things, it's going to take you down the wrong paths. And so... Focus, fix your attention on things that will help you be more like Jesus. Fix your eyes and mind and heart on things above, and I guarantee that you will grow. Third thing, this might be my favorite one. Push your limits. Push your limits. See, the only way that you can grow or get stronger is if you push your limits. This is true with exercising or lifting or really anything, is that if you want to get better at something, You've got to push your limits. If you go out every day and just run the same distance for the same time every day, you know what you'll get good at? Running the same distance at the same time every day. You know, you're not going to get any stronger. You're not going to run any further. You're not going to be any, any more wise or any more, uh, you know, any more mature in your faith if you just keep doing the same things. And so you've got to push your limits. It, it, allow yourself to, to, to be stretched, to be challenged. Now, I think the temptation oftentimes is, is that when we go through challenging seasons or hard times, we are tempted to say, okay, well, God is against me. Or, or, or the devil's just trying to get me down. Or I'm just, I got a bad string of bad luck. You know, the world's conspiring against me. You know, it's possible, and I'm not going to say this is true every single time, although I think our outlook can kind of dictate whether or not we view it this way. And if we view it this way, then it, God is at work in us. But I think that sometimes God allows us to go through challenging circumstances so we can push our limits. So he can push our limits. So we can be a little bit more challenged to, to love somebody who's difficult to love. To be a little bit more faithful through a difficult season. To, to love more, to have more faith, to give more, to serve more, to, to, to grow more, to be more joyful, more kind, more of a person of peace. That God will position us in such a way that we go through something that's going to help push our limits and make us grow. And again, I, I don't want to like say, well, you know, your tragic situation or whatever difficulty you're going through, which might be terrible, is God you know, doing that. And I think sometimes we look at that and it's like, God, you know, we do think God is against us. But our outlook could change everything if we say, you know what? God is allowing this to happen because he loves me, because he wants me to grow. Not because he's against me, not because he's, you know, he, he doesn't, doesn't love me. He likes to watch me struggle, but that he wants me to grow. So allow yourself to be challenged. And the last one, and this one really, okay, this one really is my favorite. Take time to recover. This is probably the most forgotten thing in exercise, but I think it's also the most forgotten thing in our spiritual journey, is that we don't take time to rest. We just go 100% of the time 
all the time. Just go, 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 go. And then we find ourselves being burnt out, worn out, and we don't even remember our names and why we got started. And we're like, how did we end up here? How did we end up here? We have got to find a way to build times of rest and rejuvenation into our life. See, God thought it was important enough to rest. Why don't we? Why don't we? So let me challenge you with a thought here. Be aware of your sleep patterns. Be aware of your work habits. Be aware of your days off and your family time and and whether or not you're giving enough attention to your family. And, And be aware of how often, don't miss this, how often you say yes to things. I think some of us, especially in the church, we are so afraid to say no because it seems unspiritual or ungodly. Sometimes God does want us to say yes, and sometimes we do say no too much. But there are a lot of us who say yes, I think, too often, and we already have a full plate, and we're already serving in kids' ministry, and we're already serving with worship team or, you know, the small group ministry or whatever, and then we just, someone comes and says, hey, you want to lead this? And you're like, yes. And then someone else comes, hey, you want to lead this? Yes. And then all of a sudden, you've had a yes factory come out of your mouth, and you are burnt out, and you're not doing anything well. And so you have to be mindful of this. Be willing to take time to recover. Don't ignore that. If we make this part of our practices, I really do believe this strategy will help us grow. I believe that we'll grow. Go ahead, Nathan. We will press on towards the goal that Jesus has laid out for us. We will be headed towards the prize. And we can only do what we can do. But God wants to do immeasurably more in and through us, in and through us. And so what is it going to take, church, for you to become a better runner of the race? What's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to be able to take your next step on the journey with God? The next step closer to the prize, the next step moving you towards uh, obtaining what God has for you. What is your next step? I think it's going to be different for all of us, and I say that often because I don't know what your next step is. I only know what my next step is. But what is it going to take for you to take that next step? See, one day you run to the mailbox, and then one day you run to the end of the street, and then one day you run five miles, and then one day you run ten miles. And then if you're really cool, one day you run a marathon. That's not, spiritually, I can hope for that. Physically, not so much. But don't you want that in your life, church? Do do you want to look back one day and say, you know what? Spiritually speaking, I just never got up off the couch. It just, I just stayed there. You know, I could make it to the mailbox and back and that was good enough. You know, I cracked that Bible once in 1986 And I read a chapter and that was it. That was good enough for me. I just couldn't get any further than that. Or do you want to look back and say, you know what? God used me and God was at work in my life and he did immeasurably more than I could have ever thought to ask for or imagine on my own. And I'm running spiritually. I'm running the marathon. I'm running the race. I'm winning the race. I am moving closer and closer to Christ. Let us press on to take hold of the prize. 
This morning, if you need to take your next step, I would encourage you to do that. You can do that by praying at your seat and asking God to reveal that to you or just make that commitment to say, I'm going to take that next step in, in my walk. And Or you can come and you can pray at the altar. But this morning, I'm just going to pray. Uh, and then Nathan is going to lead us in a song, right? Correct? That is correct. He has confirmed it. And so, if you would, let's stand together and we'll pray and and just take time to just worship God and, and worship, for the, worship Him because He's the God of immeasurably more. And He wants to do immeasurably more in and through you. Let's pray. Jesus, we want this, God. I want this. Whatever that looks like, Lord, I don't, I don't know. I don't know all that you have planned for my life and all that you want to do in and through my life, God. Half the time, I don't even know what I'm going to do tomorrow. But you do. You know what's planned for tomorrow and the next day and, and five weeks from now and five months from now and five years from now. God, and you know, you, you see the journey all mapped out for all of us. And my prayer this morning, Lord, is, is that we wouldn't sit back and be afraid to take the next step. That we wouldn't we would be bold as Paul was and we would follow his example and we would put people in our lives, God, we would surround ourselves with people who are following your example and that we would press on towards the prize to be more like Jesus. Help us in that, Lord. Help us apply the strategies that we talked about this morning in our life. May we be the best race runners, God, that you have in your entire kingdom. May you look down on Muncie First Church and say, man, there's a church that's really running the race. They know how to run and they're not missing a beat. Help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together, church.